Welcome back to our final session of Reading the Bible for All It's Worth. We've gone through our entire acronym, our approach to studying the Bible, the POIMA, uh, P-O-I-M-A, uh, preparation. So we prepared our hearts for approaching the Word of God, taking it seriously, trying to see God in it. We've gone through the O, which is observation, and we've tried to see um, what's really there, what's, uh, what's being said, what's not being said. We've gone through the I with interpretation and um, wrestling with the principles of how do we decide uh, what's meant here, what's, what's being compared, contrasted, what does it mean, how do we fit it together. And we've gone through the M of meditation, giving the Word of God a chance to sink deeper into our hearts and uh, shape who we are at a core level. And finally, we come to the A, last major step in this whole thing. And the A is about application and really our entire process uh, short circuits if we don't have this application phase. Uh, because bottom line, uh, the Bible is God speaking to us. We, we've said that it's a divine book, right? It's God speaking to us. And when God speaks to us, he doesn't speak to us for no reason. Like we have to believe that. And so if God is speaking to us for a reason and we stop short of doing anything about the things that God says, then, then we're, we're really just ruining the entire process. Scripture is meant, when God speaks to us, it's meant to be applied. It's meant to form our character. It's, it's meant to shape our actions. It's meant to, to shape the way we think. Um, it's meant to increase our intimacy with Him. So there's always a response uh, to who God is and, and to what He's uh, calling us to. And, and so Scripture is meant to be applied. Howard, Howard Hendricks said it like this, The Bible was not written to satisfy your curiosity. It was written to transform your life. The ultimate goal of Bible study, then, is not to do something to the Bible, but to allow the Bible to do something to you. I think that is so important because you can go through the Bible as many times as you want. You can go through the Bible as deeply as you want, but if you're not doing anything with it, if you're not allowing it to shape you and direct you, um, applying it to your life, then um, it's all worthless. It's all a total waste of time and in many ways puts us off worse than we were before. Uh, John said, Jesus said it like this in John 14, 21, if we love him, we will keep his commandments, right? So um, if we love him, we will have his commandments and we will keep them. Like that's a really important thing that Jesus says. Um, loving him um, can sometimes be this generic uh, thing, passive thing that we live with. But he's saying, no, if you love me, you'll hear what I'm saying to you and you'll do it. That's application. James 1, we've mentioned several times, he calls us to be he, uh, doers of the word and not hearers only. Because if we just hear the word, then we're just deceiving ourselves. So we could spend our entire lives invested in studying the Bible, but be totally self-deceived uh, and not doing anything with the, the knowledge, totally miss, missing the purpose of why God gave us scripture. Um, and so the, the idea, Jesus says in Luke six forty six, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do uh, what I tell you? <laughs> so we could listen to Jesus, we could call him Lord, but if we're not obeying what he's saying. If we're not listening, he speaks these words to us once again for a purpose. And so if we're not hearing what he's saying, listening and responding to what he's telling us to do, um, is he really our Lord? And so that that's these are the questions that we have to take with us. And so, uh, man, uh, Christian uh, community has been maligned as hypocritical, right? And I think this is exactly where this comes. We talk about the word of God. We quote it, we reference it, we speak of it as an authority, but so often we don't do the things that it said, right? We use the word of God uh, to like further our agendas or causes or something like that, right? Um, and many people look at that and just say, man, that's like 
gross. That's that's morally deplorable to uh, look at someone who's using the word of God to accomplish their purposes, to make their life better. Um, and instead, what we need to recover is this sense of these are God's words. We're going to do what, them, what they say. The end of the book of Isaiah, um, Isaiah 66, God is speaking and he says, look, um, this is the person to whom I'm going to look, the one who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. This is a beautiful reminder that, you know, as God looks in the earth and he's saying, okay, who can I use? Who, who am I going to partner with here? He said, I'm looking for that person that's humble. So someone that's not lifting themselves up as prideful, um, uh, willing to like look to God and, and, and worship him and follow what he says. And also contrite in spirit. I think that means, you know, willing to say, hey, I was wrong here. Like I'm repenting and I'm, I'm ready to follow you and, and listen to what you say. And, and the last thing, someone who trembles at my words. So when God speaks, those words mean so much to us that we're, we're trembling, right? Like this, these words are so important. And, and if they are important to us, we will do what they say. So all of this to say, this world needs more people who are devoted to hearing God speak and responding to what he says. We need more people in this world who are shaped by what God himself says. Um, people who are experiencing life through the word uh, like th- that Jesus gives to us, like that he speaks, right? And, and inviting people into that. That's, that's the key to all of it. So we want to apply the truth of God's word. Probably you didn't need to be convinced of that, but a pep talk is always important for all of us of, hey, you're not done until we're responding to what he says. Now, as we talk about application, there are some pitfalls we want to be careful to avoid, okay? One of those is we sometimes substitute interpretation for application. Remember that we want to say not just, what does this passage mean for me? Uh, We want to start by saying, what did this passage mean to the original audience? Okay, and so there's kind of two senses here. One is we don't want to come and instead of interpreting the passage according to the context and the argument and all those factors... We want to come in and, and say, okay, what did this mean? Uh, what, what did the author intend to say? Remember, we talked about that. Um, and then we want to say, okay, now, based on that, what does that mean for my life? So this is one key part of it. Uh, we said interpretation is one, application is many. And so um, so we're, we're kind of going into this uh, approach of just saying, like, rather than starting with saying, what does this passage mean for me? We want to say, what does the passage say, right? And then, and then we ask, based on what it says, based on what we've... Uh, wrestled with it, what it means, um, then now how does this apply to my life? That, so that's so separating the interpretation and the application phases are really important. I think the other mistake we can make here in, in uh, substituting interpretation for application, sometimes we mistake like an epiphany or a realization with application. So you might be studying a passage in Isaiah and you might come and see some connections uh, from that book to something about Jesus, and your mind might be blown, right? And you might just be like, wow, this is incredible. This is amazing. And then you could stop there and think, wow, I accomplished my purpose in coming to the Bible because my mind was blown and, and I learned something, right? But remember, application is putting it into practice. So it, maybe it's just worship, right? Maybe you stop and worship, and that is beautiful, right? But usually there's more as well um, that we're invited into and letting those truths shape us. So um, we don't want to substitute interpretation for application. Um, another thing we want to avoid here is um, we don't want to stop with identifying the proper application. You know, uh, you, you might find like, okay, here is the right thing to do. But then, you know, if you never do it, right, then it, are you really applying it? You might have identified the application, but if you're not actually acting on that, um, then you're not actually applying it. So uh, James 4.17, he says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. 
that's a crazy statement for him to make. And it really does, I think, apply to our approach to reading the Bible. If we can see from scripture, the right application of it, we don't do it. James is like, that's sin. And so, um, you know, we, we want to uh, make sure we see it and do it, right? And also, I think along these lines, we want to make sure we don't fall into some sort of superficial application, right? Um, it's easy to apply the truth only to aspects of our life that we're already doing pretty well in. Um, and so, we want to find like, man, every application, every implication of this, and what, what could this do in this area of my life, in that area of my life, in that area of my life? And so, um, you know, it's, it's really... Um, you know, it's, it's, think of think of Bill Clinton where he says, um, you know, I did not have sexual relations with that woman, right? So you could find a really narrow definition of that term and apply it and sure, I guess I'm fine then, right? Um, I think often we actually do things like that with the Bible um, rather than saying, okay, yeah, well, you know, the Bible talks about adultery. Um, what are the implications of that? How can I apply those truths to my life? Uh, not just in the narrowest sense possible, but in a deeper, more profound sense. That's always important for us to do. Um, and, and I think sometimes too, we get really good at rationalizing, you know, we identify the proper application. We kind of know the right thing to do, but we begin to rationalize and we become very skilled at explaining away like many of the ways that our lives don't conform to the biblical principles. You know, I, I, I do it all the time. I think we all do. Like Jesus tells us to sell our possessions and give to the poor. Right. But we're like, well, you know, like things are different now. Right. Or like, you know, I actually do need this though. It's not like, you know optional and like everyone these days has a certain amount and, you know, and so we kind of just begin to rationalize away the teaching of Jesus. Now, I haven't led you through any kind of um, exegetical work and diving into what is Jesus saying there, what's the context and all that kind of thing. I'm just saying it's easy for us to do this, to to find areas of our life that uh, we feel like yeah, okay, I can apply it here, but you know, this one doesn't need it as much. We want to be careful not to rationalize. Um, The other thing is, like, be careful not to apply uh, the wrong application of a passage. And this is actually kind of tricky because you can be obedient to uh, what you think Scripture is saying, but if it's not really, you know, the right uh, interpretation or maybe it's the wrong application of that passage, um, you know, it gets tricky on this, right? Um, observation and interpretation are so important because we want to make sure that not only do we see what's being said, but when we're going to follow, obey something that God um, has told us to do, we want to make sure it's not something that God hasn't told us to do, right? Um, and, and so part of it is uh, if we misunderstand a passage and we apply it incorrectly, um, uh, it, then we're doing something God didn't command us to do, but also we're missing the thing that God was trying to command us to do in that sense. So it's really important. Um as an example, um, Philippians 4, 19, um, Paul talks about how like, God will provide for all of our needs. Um, so he's speaking to a church that has like met his needs sacrificially, right? Like, um, man, like they, they like have gone out of their way to like help Paul. And Paul's saying like, thank you for helping me. Um, God's going to su- supply every need that you have, right? Um, now, we, it's possible for us to like look at that and we'd be like, okay, yeah, um, you know, like I'm, I'm looking for a parking spot, you know, the mall at Christmas time and um, it's tough. And so, man, God will provide every need of mine, right? Well, that's kind of different than what Paul's getting at there in, in thanking them for their sacrificial giving for him and saying, don't worry, God's going to care for everything you need. Um, you know, you might be taking a test and you haven't prepared enough for that test. And uh, well, God will richly supply every need, right? Um, yeah, he will, but that's not quite uh, what is being uh addressed in that passage, right? Um, and so, 
you know, if you're if you're like considering how much to give to your church or whether to help a friend in need, then that's actually a great application of Philippians 4.19. So I hope you can see it's partly like, you know, we, we, we get these superficial applications. Um, we get these kind of wrongheaded ones and it's, it's fine to ask God for a parking spot. Um, just sometimes, you know, we, we, we get a little shallow or we get a little um, short-sighted and, and uh, we want to make sure, man, we really want to understand this passage and I want to then apply it as it's intended to. I don't think that should paralyze us, right? But I think that it's um, it's a matter of just um, really caring a lot about what God actually says and, and what he wants us to do. Now, I'm going to read to you a statement that Paul makes in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The reason I bring this up is because I think it's so important that as we talk about the application phase, that we're not trying to do this in our own strength. It's too easy to simply try harder, uh, work more, uh, think that everything depends on us and what we're doing, what we're capable of. And reminders like this are so important. So he does call us, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Take this very seriously. Dive in. Like, um, there's application involved. I think that's what he's saying. He's talking about application, but he says, because it's God's work in you, both to will and to work. Um, Both of those things are super important to keep in mind as we try to apply the word of God. Okay. Yes, I need to do this. I need to respond. I need to get after it, but I need to remember that it's God who's working in me to produce the will to, to follow, right? God produces that will to obey him, that inclination that we have to do what God says. Also, to work, like he empowers that work that he does. And so, um, you know, we don't need a bunch more Christians striving to live up to a certain standard. Um, What we need is more Christians just clued into the presence and the empowerment of God, offering ourselves to him, asking him to work and move through us. So there you go. There's some pitfalls to avoid in application. Now, what does it actually look like? Um, I want to talk just a little bit as we close up here about how to apply it. Often it's very obvious, but Here's some things to keep in mind as we do that. How to apply. Um, First of all, keep an eye open for description and prescription. So I'm saying description and prescription. They're not the same thing. When something is described, you might see um, Joseph's brothers selling him into slavery. That's a description of something that happened. It's not prescribing something that we should do, right? You should not read the Joseph story and come away applying, I need to find someone to sell into slavery. That's terrible, right? And we know that. Um, but throughout the Bible, we have to be careful. What's something that's being described um, versus prescribed? Remember everything we've said about uh, genres in Scripture and interpreting based on that. we got to pay attention to how those work. So we don't apply everything indiscriminately. Um, always we consider the literary context, the cultural context, the covenantal context, all those things that we've been talking about. We read often in the, the Bible about um, polygamy, right? David had multiple wives, for example. Um, and so the Bible there, I think, is describing what happened. It's not telling us what we ought to do, right? Um, but, you know, maybe on another hand, what we read about like Adam and Eve uh, becoming one flesh, Genesis 2.24, the, uh, the man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two become one flesh. Like, I think it's, it's, it's there we see a precedent or a principle, right, for what God wants us to do through marriage. So it, it can be sometimes a little tricky to, just, to figure out, okay, what's being described versus prescribed? But there is a difference, and it's important for us to keep in mind um, what those differences look like. Um, 
And one of the things that helps there with Genesis 2.24 is we find New Testament authors referencing back to that when they talk about what marriage is meant to be. And so that helps us to be confirmed in saying, um, okay, yeah, yeah, this is a principle that we're being given. That's the analogy of the faith. Remember, letting scripture interpret scripture. It's not always easy to distinguish, but basically we want to always use caution in uh, applying the descriptive passages. I'll just say it's much harder to do the application in um, narrative passages, um, sometimes even prophetic passages, because they're written, remember, to other people, not not uh, not us directly. Uh, sometimes the New Testament letters can be easier to directly apply, although even there we have to be careful because they're written to churches that are not, are not us, right? People that lived long ago. But, but it often is easier to see the connections. Um, so as we go through a passage, we want to look for anything that can or should be applied. So here's a bunch of different questions we could ask ourselves. Is there a truth to believe about God in this passage? Is there a truth to believe regarding some other doctrine? Is there a command to obey? Is there a promise to claim? Is there an example to follow? Is there an error in behavior to avoid? Is there an error in thinking to avoid? Is there a condition to meet? Is there wisdom to shape my thinking? Is there a prayer to imitate? Is there a principle to follow? So that, that's not an exhaustive list, but that gives you a bunch of different questions that you could ask to say, um, okay, yeah, there's something here that I can uh, use to, to shape my life, okay? And so that's the, these are the kinds of questions um, that we're going to ask. Now, we, we can ask um, questions like, um, identifying principles. So that one thing about, is there a principle here that I can apply? Sometimes this can be easy. Sometimes it can be tricky. Um, but I want to use 1 Corinthians 8 as an example. 1 Corinthians 8 is relatively short, and it's talking about food that are off, that's offered to idols. So back at the time, they, they would make these sacrifices, offer this food to idols. And Paul's saying like, hey, on the one hand, like, it's just food offered to an idol, an idol is nothing, so like, eat the food, no big deal. But there were many Christians that were like, I can't eat that food, that meat, if it's been offered to an idol, because then it feels like I'm participating in that idol worship. And Paul's basically trying to help them wrestle with like, hey, um, like you're not worse off if you eat, you're not better off if you, um, worse off if you don't eat, you're not better off if you do eat. And so he's just kind of helping them wrestle with um, the principles involved in that. So, um, you know, there's universal universal truths that Paul states in 1 Corinthians 8 in making his point. So he says specifically, an idol is nothing. That's that's a great universal principle that you can pull from that. An idol is nothing. Um, he states clearly that we have freedom in Christ. That's a great universal principle that we can cling to. Um, he tells us that we should follow our conscience. That's a really important, great principle to hold on to. We should care for our brothers and our sisters. Um, that's clearly in that passage, a great universal principle. Um, we shouldn't cause our brothers to stumble. Things like that. These are like statements that Paul makes or, or like really clear implications that are right on the surface of the text. We can say, that's a great principle that I want to use and apply. Okay. But then we ask, okay, how is that principle applied in the situation being addressed in the passage? So um, the, the idea of not causing your brothers to stumble, like Paul's looking at a situation where um, people who had been part of these temple sacrifices offering meat to the idols, like they've been a part of that whole thing. And so when other Christians ate the leftover meat, like the idol wasn't going to eat it, right? So the meat's leftover. Then these like former idolater Christians are being influenced to engage in a practice that their conscience was uneasy about. So Paul's saying clearly, 
eat the meat or don't eat the meat. Like both are fine options. But if you're inclined to eat the meat and you see a brother who's like, I'm not sure if I should or not. I really kind of think I shouldn't. And you go ahead and eat. You might influence him to eat and when his conscience doesn't allow that. And so this is the situation. Paul's applying these principles, these kind of universal principles. He's doing it in that way um, in that passage, okay? So Paul's saying to these other Christians, just keep from eating meat when you're doing so uh, in a way that would cause someone else who has this uh, former idolatry in their past, and uh, that might influence them to join against their conscience, okay? So now, how do we take a principle like that, uh, seeing it applied in the way it was in 1 Corinthians 8, and then ask, okay, how do we apply that in a modern day context? Uh, Very often this happens with this passage. It's used to talk about drinking alcohol. Um, And you can see a lot of similarities, right? There's people that are um, uh, alcoholic, right? And and they've had a, a past with alcohol that's really tricky. And so we as Christians, like the Bible is, is tells us not to be drunk with wine, but it, it certainly doesn't tell us not to drink. Um, in fact, Jesus drank alcohol. Paul will tell uh, Timothy to drink some wine for his stomach. There's there's um, uh, alcohol is seen as a blessing in Scripture, and so there's warnings against the abuse of it, but but nothing condemning the actual use of alcohol. And so we might imagine uh, Paul saying. Hey, uh, drink alcohol or don't eat, drink alcohol. There's no benefit either way. Um, it's it's a gift from God if you can enjoy it, right? Um, but if you're in a situation where someone has come from a um, idolatrous relationship to alcohol, which I think is a lot of what alcoholism often is, um, and you drinking alcohol would tempt someone to go back in and drink as well against their conscience, that's a bad thing to do. I, I think that's a great application um, of this passage. Uh, however, I think what often happens is we get ourselves to a point where um, we don't drink because somebody else in the church might think it's bad for me to drink, right? So just you can think of, you know, someone's grandparents in the church that have never had alcohol, but they, they're they convinced that it's bad for you to drink. And so sometimes we use this like, don't cause your brother to stumble, meaning don't cause some older person to judge you uh, on it. Someone else thinks it's wrong, so you don't do it. And, and maybe that's an okay thing to, to do, a, a good consideration. But I think the point is, it's not a great application of 1 Corinthians 8, uh, because the principle is causing your brother to stumble, right? Leading someone who is prone or tempted by this sin to come into it. Whereas in a modern context, drinking alcohol and someone else from the church who doesn't agree with drinking alcohol seeing you, what they're going to be doing is judging you in their heart. Now, that's their sin, right? Um, because the Bible never forbids drinking. And so the point is not causing your brother to stumble would not be, uh, in that case, someone seeing you drink alcohol and getting upset and judgmental. It would be more the case of someone that's tempted to join in on it. So so you can see kind of how that idea of finding a principle, applying it, finding equivalent in modern day life works. Um, it's kind of tricky, but um, it's actually, you know, it's it's fun and it's kind of life-giving actually to wrestle with the words of God like this and to, to, to wonder about our modern situations and to talk with each other about what would be a a worthwhile application of it. And, and I think in many ways, our understanding of these passages and how they fit together and how they work evolves and gets shaped over time. Um, so we, we always want to be like evaluating the differences in, in making these applications between the original audience and our modern setting, right? So we've t- said a lot about culture, history, covenant, all those kinds of things. And so we want to think about like what makes their situation different than ours so that we don't make the wrong application, right? So we, we could take a statement like Romans 16, 16, greet one another with a holy kiss, and we could just apply it across the board, right? But if we did that, we'd be missing the fact that like those were instructions given to a specific 
group of people in Rome at a certain time, right? And a kiss meant something different than uh, then, back then, in those times, than it does today, right now, right? So, um, you know, kissing someone today would communicate something very different than it would back then. So those are the kinds of things we want to see. What's different about their culture than ours that makes the direct application of this command different? And you might actually, instead of expressing love, you might express a whole lot of creepiness uh, for somebody else. And, uh, and so all these things, we just have to be careful. So what we want to do then is determine how that truth or principle or example could or should be applied in our setting today. That's what's hard. It's one thing to determine how it could or should be applied back then. That's the easy part, right? Greet one another with a holy kiss. How do you apply that back in first century Rome? By greeting one another with a holy kiss, right? Um, how do you uh, apply that today in, in uh, the 21st century? Um, it's probably going to be different. It might be a handshake or a hug, right? It might be a way of just kind of greeting someone in a familial way um, that, that acknowledges the bond that we have and love that we have, that, but it doesn't necessarily uh, have any sexual overtones to it, which definitely kissing today does. Uh, I guess unless you're in Italy or France or something like that. So um, we have to know our own culture well enough to know like how something will communicate and what doesn't. And and so th- this is the thing. You got to know the old culture. You got to know the new culture. You got to wrestle with it. I think we need to be willing to adjust with all those things. And then here's the thing. I kind of warned against, you know, the Bible study setting where you go around and you say, okay, what does this passage mean to you? What does this passage mean to you? And, um, and we all kind of have a different like, well, this is what the passage means when I read it. And I think that's actually a really important concept. So now I think we were careful to say that's not what interpretation is, right? There should be, like, we're trying to get what the author meant, what God intended to say with that passage. So there's kind of one meaning there. And although we did say there's some mystery and there might be some prophetic excess, there's one meaning. But the, their application is many. And so it is so appropriate to go around in a Bible study setting and say, okay, when you hear these words, we've wrestled with it. We, we're kind of seeing what it's saying what does this mean for you? Like, like in the sense of how are you going to apply this to your life? What are the implications of this for the way you're living your life? Um, and, and then here's the thing, like we might teach the same passage 20 times in 20 different settings or, or like in 20 different years, you know? And I think we might see in doing that, our applications change based on like time, place, audience, right? Like in, in like we ourselves, we might read the same passage 20 times at 20 different years of your life and find you have a different application point for yourself as you go through that. So, um, man, so many universally uh, relevant applications of many parts of Scripture. Like, I think we're always going to be prone to idolatry. We're always going to find it difficult to love our neighbors, right? We're we're always going to be prone to dishonesty, lust, anger, right? Um, but the calling of the biblical teaching is like helping the people God has placed around us wrestle with Scripture to like the end of the process, which means situation specific application like this is really the fruit of it all and it's the it's the in some ways it's the part that's the most fun because you go from hearing a word from God and, and hopefully we've worshiped and prayed in the process but now we can say okay now I know uh, what I'm meant to do and again reminder this has to come through the power of the Holy Spirit um, the empowerment of God who works in us both to will and to do so there you go you've got the whole poem of process preparation observation interpretation meditation, application. Uh, one last session I'd like to do here uh, and is going through a passage of scripture, trying to put all the pieces together so we can see kind of how we would wrestle in each stage as we go through. And that's coming up next.